had uh, some comments last week and during the course of the week and about the sermon and about things I share, but about things that are going on in your life as well. And I'm really grateful for all that and really grateful for the number of people who are really earnestly wanting to be urgent about their own spiritual life. And that's great to have us to go together. And that that's what's meant to come together as community because for any one of us to just say, well, this is what I want to be and no one else to go alone. It's, as you probably know, at some point in your life, you've tried to do something alone. I mean, matter of fact, I can speak to some of our friends who have worked through substance abuse, and it's like to kick that habit alone, right? How easy is that? To stop smoking alone, how easy is that? To walk in an urgent way alone, how easy is that? And that's why we come together as a body. That's why we come together as a church family, to walk together urgently. And we prod and we urge each other along, as Hebrews says, you know, encouraging each other in the day, in that moment, to live that way. It's very great and exciting to uh, be here and to be able to do that. Last week I made the comment, I probably was not thinking very clearly. Actually, I probably just didn't really know what I was getting into when I said it. Um, I urged you last week to use your connection card, right? If you wanted for us to pray for you about being urgent. And in the emotion of the moment, I says, and I'll pray for you every day. I don't do that very well. And then when I got 44 cards in for us to pray for... I thought, I bit off more than I can chew. And so I'd like to go back on that commitment, please. And just, I will faithfully, regularly pray for us, all right? But uh, I've got to come off that praying for 44 of us, you know, every day thing, okay? Just, I want to continue to work on authenticity and, like, uh, and all that kind of thing, all right? Last week's uh, service was special. I went into it with a lot of uncertainty about what I wanted to say and whether everything that was in my notes was what I wanted to say and, and whether I wanted to actually ask anyone to stand up because we don't do that here. And I thought, what happens if no one stands up? You know, then ha- I didn't have anything in my notes to address that kind of, you know. And, and I on purpose didn't look up because I was afraid of that. And so, but, you know, it did. And that's a clear demonstration of God at work in our midst at work in our church and at work in individuals' lives. I want to build on that momentum that we talked about last week and and build on anxiously as we wait on God to move in our lives, to move in our church and in our communities. If you missed last week's sermon, I encourage you to go to the website and listen to it and and ask God for what he'll do in your life in that regard. And And I praise God for so many things that I saw happen last week. Our current sermon series is focusing on our church's mission and our values about like to be and make a committed follower of Christ. That's what we say we want to be as. That's coming right out of Scripture. And then, but we've said that there are certain ways we want to try and accomplish that. We've said that we want to try and accomplish that by equipping, equipping the saints who come here to equip us in biblical character, to equip us in ministry skills, to equip us in spiritual habits, and then also to send, you know, that we would, we would be sent people taking the gospel out into the communities we live in, and that we would serve. We would serve the people in a genuine love in such a way that we would be a blessing to them. And last week we focused on being committed followers of Christ, and we we talked about how unmotivated we can become over time. We used that analogy of of young adults, and and none of those people are in this room right now. I want to be clear about that, okay? Young adults who are totally unmotivated to move out of their parents' basement into the next phase of life. You know, and and that we at times, in our spiritual life, that we can be lingering in the basement too long and that we won't come out of it and that ultimately we would have nothing to show in our spiritual growth 
because we've just wasted away downstairs. And, and this is to those of you who are like 30 and 40 years in the faith already. We have to, be, we, we have to work harder at urgency, I'm afraid, sometimes. Um, we just need to be really urgent about that and be really on point with trying to keep ourselves seeking what's next for our spiritual walk and in our obedience to Christ. Today, we want to focus on the send part of equip, send, serve, the send part of that. Did you know the word mission comes from a Latin word that means to send? It was first used by Jesuit missionaries who sent, missionary, who sent members of their order overseas to establish schools and churches. And therefore, when we speak about being sent by God, you could also say that we're on mission with God and that we are sent people. And when we talk about that here at Crossing, often when people talk about missions, you know, use that word mission, the mindset immediately goes to pith helmets in the deepest, darkest jungles of Africa, right? Or someplace overseas. And yet, when we talk about sin here at Crossing, we mean that. We mean that. We are, are grateful to be able to support the, the Mears and uh, the Livingstons and Valerie and other people that we support as missionaries. Um, whether it's cross-culturally is really the emphasis on that. Not always overseas, but definitely a different cultural context. But here in our own community, we teach that every one of us are sent, not to a foreign country, but to the people that are in our life. We acknowledge that God has sovereignly placed you. Now think about this. It's almost like a chess set. And that God has sovereignly taken that, ch- that chess piece and laid it on the chess board to be specifically where he wants you to be. So the children you have, the in-laws you have, the neighbors you have, the co-workers you have, the barber you use, the lady at the register at the grocery store, the mailman, the children's soccer coach, the people you sit next to on the bleachers, the teacher's aide in your kid's classroom, all of those relationships are not random, but they are sovereignly appointed for an eternal purpose. And by God using us where we are, he is infiltrating all aspects of society with his light and his goodness and his message. So if you're a lawyer, you are a lawyer and you are a light to the judicial system. If you're an artist, you're uh, a light to the arts community. And if you're a state or township or federal employee, you are light to our government. And so wherever you are, you are God's tool. You are his agent to that place. Every one of us who call ourselves a disciple of Christ, should understand and embrace that you are sent, divinely placed by God to the people in your life. We are all placed by God, and this is a term that Paul writes about as his ambassador, as the ambassador of God. In 2 Corinthians 5, 21, he states it like this, Therefore we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were making an appeal through us, We beg you on behalf of Christ to be reconciled to God. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So there we are. We are an ambassador of God, and that's the message that we take to those around us, beseeching them that Christ died. While you didn't even know about him, without you ever thinking about him, he died for you as a payment for your sins. And that is our message. 
That as an ambassador, that is the message we're taking to the nations, to our neighborhoods, to our homes, to our workplaces, to our schools. I am an ambassador into this place. So I can walk around the room and I can say, he is an ambassador to Toll Brothers. His purpose is there is to do whatever they pay him to do, to do it very well and to be a light to that company. His job is, as um, in the state of, of New Jersey, they need a lot of light there. And so they place Scott there, which is so appropriate. And you can go around the room, and we can say, you were placed in that place as light to those people. Strategically, purposely, not an accident, not randomly, not because of those are the only people you would ever hire you. It's because that's where God placed you. But what if an ambassador for Christ wouldn't go? What if the ambassador for Christ wouldn't represent the king that sent him and went with a different message when he got to his appointed place? Then he wouldn't be doing his job, would he? He isn't much of an ambassador. He's more like a lone wolf. Matter of fact, perhaps he shouldn't call himself an ambassador. Maybe Another profession would be better suited to him, one, and one should seriously consider their calling as a Christian. One should seriously consider that they would say that, I am, I am a disciple of Christ, if they're not willing to do the job that he gave them to do. So many people we read about in the Bible were sent, right? Abraham, God said, Abraham, go. He was sent. He said, Moses, go. He was sent. Some of us um, get sent against our wishes. Joseph was sent against his wishes. Through the sin and the betrayal of his brothers, he was sent against his wishes. Daniel was sent against his wishes, wishes as a prisoner of the king. All the prophets were sent by God to go and give a message. Paul was sent by God. Peter was sent by God. All these men and women were sent, and they were on mission for God. They were ambassadors. And you are sent as well to the people in your life. Being sent means giving up something. There's this verse that I want to use a lot maybe in this series coming out of Luke 9. We referred to it last week and we referred to it again today. Luke 9, 23. If anyone wishes to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. So in other words, if you wish to come after me, you've got to lay some stuff down because I'm going to fill your hands with this cross. We can't follow him and carry that cross and hang on to all these things of the world. We can't hang on to all these things that are, are comforting to us. We have to lay all those things down to follow him. And that means we have to lay down the comfort that we find in staying where we are. It would have been more comfortable for Abraham to have stayed in Ur. So when, when Christians have to try and figure out, well, what does it mean for me to be sent? And what is it that I have to give up to go and to, and to embrace these relationships around me? Then it means they give up maybe other relationships. But for us as Christians, yesterday morning I spoke at um, a men's breakfast and a young man, not a young man, an older guy actually, came to me and he says, I'm a brand new Christian. And the guy that was discipling him was standing there. And he said, 
do you have, like, what would, you, what would be your word of wisdom to me? And then I looked to the guy's disciple, and I said, let me just tell you what happens to guys like you. And this is, I'm saying, talking to the young Christian. I said, the things that happen, the thing that will ruin you the fastest is hanging around old Christians because they get comfortable, and you make them uncomfortable when you want to go. When you're growing at the rate you're growing, and they compare that to themselves, they go, I'm not growing like that. That's part of what's happened to me with Mark, my brother. I'm like watching what God's doing in his life, and I'm going, oh, I'm unsettled by this. You know, and that's what reflects on my heart and revealed to me this, this laziness, right? And I said to him, don't hang around with old Christians too much. Or if you're going to hang around with old Christians, make sure they're the ones who have the same fire as you do. Because what we do as old Christians is that we get really comfortable as we hang around with no one but other Christians. Being sent means you give up the comfort of exclusive relationships with only Christians and you're purposeful, and you're urgent as you're hanging around other people that you love that maybe are outside the faith. That You take great risks. And, and the, the way to take great risks is mean you attempt great things for God, and, and you only experience great things for God when you step outside of comfort, and you let go of comfort, and you leave that behind. The thing is, is we don't want to be reading about other people attempting great things for God. We want to experience great things for God. And maybe no one will ever write, anything, write a book about us, but we will experience great things for God. I want to think through, what would a mindset of a strategically living ambassador for Christ look like? So let me describe for you a situation that I've witnessed. Let's, let's imagine that one of us has been invited to a gathering at someone's home, and we're just going to call this family the Gilmores, and since there's no Gilmores in here that I'm aware of. And um, let's just say we've been invited to the home of the Gilmore family, and we show up there, and there's 10, 15 people there, and you walk in the door and wave. There's like this group of crossing people there. And then after you've been there a little while, maybe an hour later, you kind of notice that the gathering has done this. Over in the kitchen area around that table there are all these people you don't know. And over here, like in the living room area, are all these people you do know, and they're all Christians. Do you see where this is happening here? What would an ambassador do? What would a strategically thinking, motivated ambassador for Christ do? I can stay here among all these people who think like me and talk like me and laugh at all my jokes about Christians, or I could go over there with those people and build relationships with them. That's what a strategically thinking ambassador for Christ would do. As a matter of fact, I've seen this situation play out in real life. Actually, this is a real situation. And I'm familiar with the story. And one person did walk, you know, from the living room into the kitchen and began to build relationships with these people. And what happened with that situation was eventually the relationships with these people grew enough that the believer was a part of these folks. And up actually had the opportunity to, to be light in their lives and, and to, get to, to pray with them when a loved one died. To get to like ask how they're doing as that person was in hospice and dying. To get to stand with them and comfort them. Point them to Scripture a little bit. Not preachy. Just say, hey, look, I'm praying for you. How can I pray for you? How can I serve you? How can I love you? 
you know, that person is a, a part of that group of friends and, and the story is still unfolding and we're waiting to see what God would do. But being a sent person means being aware of who you're around and how you might influence that situation. Sometimes being a sent person means you think out of the box and you, you, you create an opportunity to be light. Here's another situation. Um, I know of a situation where back in the day when line dancing was a thing, so that dates this whole story, doesn't it? A family really wanted to try and do reach and build relationships and do it strategically. So they took down their entire back fence and they built a dance floor in their backyard and they hired a guy to come and teach line dancing and they invited about 125 people to their backyard. And they live in this development over here. About 100 people showed up. But it wasn't, but the, the whole guest list was very purposeful because they, were, they wanted their friends who were not really a part of the faith yet. They wanted their friends who were still kind of exploring these things to be around people who could speak to those things. And so the entire guest list was like maybe, I don't know, 60, 40. But those 40% of those believers were invited purposefully. And were invited with, these people get it. And they will step into this situation, and they'll sit there and say, hey, how do you know these people? Oh, I know them because like, I work with them. Oh, I go to church with them. And just lay the seeds. And be there purposefully, intentionally, waiting, seeking for the opportunity to speak about Christ, to speak about faith, to speak about church, to speak about prayer. And see, this is the thing you just need to understand. I'm not talking about one of these kind of things where you step into a a relationship or conversation and you say really awkward things. You've heard me say this. This is my most prized awkward moment. And it, so I repeat it a lot. We're, you know, sitting at the lunch table one time at the advertising agency I was working at. And there were two believers and two unbelievers. And the believer across the table from me in the middle of nowhere for no reason at all starts going and speaking really loud. Tim, did you know that Jesus died for everyone's sins in the entire world? I'm not going, I'm eating a ham and cheese sandwich here. Why are we talking about that? <laughs> and the people that were not believers sitting there like going, that's weird. Where did that come from? I'm not talking about being weird. It's some of this, it comes naturally, but I'm not talking about being weird. I'm talking about that, like, you sit at a table and you say, this week I was praying about something, and this is what God did in my life. Or this week, or, or people just say, how did you end up here? And people say, how did you end up from Texas? I always say, it was the God thing. And if they go, uh, I go, all right, that's all. And they go, really? Tell me about that. I go, well, this is how it happened. It's like just stepping into these places and being in a, in a group of people, and then you just lay out breadcrumbs. And if anyone starts eating those breadcrumbs, you just start following them. And like going, let me tell you about Jesus in my life. Let me tell you about how I've prayed for this. Let me tell you about what God did for this. Let me tell you how God sent me to cemetery. Oh, seminary. I'm sorry about that. Uh, I paid a lot for that cemetery. Um, you, know, you, you know, you just step into those times and those places, and you... And you and you talk about God as naturally, a great example of that on national TV this week was the coach of Clemson. Yeah, it was a beautiful speech, wasn't it? And, but what you saw in the coach was that he talked so naturally about Jesus. It wasn't like, I gotta say something right now on national TV. I love God and he made this possible. And like going, oh, that was so weird. He didn't do that. 
And I don't remember what he said, but it was just like, wow, that just felt natural. What did he say? Go ahead and tell me. And he, right, he just said, I wouldn't be here without God. And it just felt natural. And no one else cringed because he wasn't cringing as he talked about it. Uh, let me, and, and another principle. This is on my notes. This is free, okay? So this one over here, when we first started going through adoption for him, we didn't know what we are getting into, but when we first started going for adoption with him, they said to us, they said to us, they said, when you adopt him and you bring him home and you have him that first day, you use the word adopted that day. And you use that word a lot. Because when he gets old enough to understand it, you don't want to use the word adopted and say it in a cringe factor. And he goes, what's wrong with me? Dad talks weird about me when he talks about adopted. Adoption is natural. Adoption is beautiful. Adoption is great. And you use that word in such a way that when they hear you say it, they know that they are loved and wanted and placed there on purpose. And so he's never, he probably never (laughs) has felt weird about it. And so, and so that's what I mean. It's like we learn to say adoption naturally so that when he heard adoption, he's going, oh, well, everyone's adopted, aren't they? Those guys are weird because they're not, right? And instead, what we want to do is we want to talk about our faith in such a way that when we talk about it, we don't cringe and they don't cringe. And so for this event, this little backyard soiree, it was like those people who were invited were the cringeless people. They were the ones who were going to come and say, we've been praying about this forever and just be so natural. So that when other people bumped up against them in that little party and someone said something about faith, they were going, oh, these people are pretty natural about that. It seems like it's not cringeworthy. It wasn't weird, right? That's being strategic. That's being thoughtful about being an ambassador for Christ. There's a school, there's a church out in, 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 in Columbus, Ohio, and they purposefully, I just have loved their purposeness. They purposely have bought large houses scattered all around the University of Columbus. I mean, the University of Ohio State University. They bought houses all around the university, and they've taken their college students, and they've said, here, there's this house, pay us a little bit of rent and live here. And they put 10 of them in the house. And there might be, I don't know, five or six, a dozen houses all around the campus. And on any given Friday night, there's a party at that house, one of those houses. And the people from the other house that don't have a party, they go to that house because there's going to be a lot of college students there. Drunk, maybe not drunk, who knows how they're going to show up, but they're going to be there. And those people who come from the other house, they they know they're there, not for the nachos, but people make a party. And people who have faith come together and, and speak naturally about their faith. And so they come to this party, they're hosting this party, you know, on this particular street, and there's a 10 of them, but 20 other people come there, and those other 20 people come there, they know they're there for a reason, and they're there to live out their faith naturally among all the guests who show up. Let me tell you another example of this where it didn't happen recently. And I didn't think about it until I saw it not happening. Recently, Recently, Larry Newman's mother passed away. I went, and being a friend, and I went to Larry, I said, you know, we'll come to the house, and, 
and we'll, you know, we're just going to hang out, and we empty the trash or whatever. You know, just be there. And what I saw happen was this. There were some of us who went there to offer our condolences to the family, and there were a whole bunch of people from Ryder who went there. And as I saw it playing out, I thought, I wish we got this. And there were just like 15 crossing people who were here for no other reason but to say, how do you know Larry? Oh, I know him from church. Do you see what I mean by that? The strategic, thoughtful mindset about this is a place I want to be and this is a place I can be to support the ministry and the lifestyle and and Christ's reputation in this other person's life. So even funerals, weirdly enough, can be thoughtful opportunities about being strategic and being an ambassador. Right now, last week, this week, and the weeks to come, we're in a season of great opportunity for being ambassadors. In our culture today, it's really weird, you know, for people that you often, if you're trying to build a relationship with people, people are kind of weird about just like coming to your home or inviting you to their home. Back in the day, you know, you can knock on people's doors and do all kinds of things, and now that's kind of weird. But then, but just think about this. If you have an opportunity to invite someone into your home when it's not weird, wouldn't that be an interesting opportunity to take? And so right now, t- tonight, there are people wearing green who know other people who are wearing green who maybe don't know Christ. And tonight might be one of the few times this year when you can invite someone into your home and say, would you like to come and watch the game with me? And they might say yes. But this is what we do as old Christians. This is what we do as Christians who want comfort. We'll have, tonight there'll be many homes full of people watching the ball game and it'll be full of people who are Christians alone with no one else in the house. Now, that's not all bad. Now, some of you are like going, well, what's wrong with that? Nothing's wrong with that. Well, but what could more be done with that? So, Super Bowl. Everyone has Super Bowl parties? What would be wrong with inviting people from your office to come over for Super Bowl party? Because it's a natural way to invite them over. What's wrong with inviting them over for, Super, uh, for the World Series? I mean, I don't know anyone who watches hockey, and I don't know anything about that. But if you do something with hockey like that, you know, you would invite them to hockey games, you know, to your house for playoffs, right? For NBA playoffs, but they last for six weeks, so I don't know how you would do that, right? But, or, or, but you know, or you invite people over for Memorial Day, or for Labor Day, or for Fourth of July. Flag Day didn't have the same zeal to it, but, you know, you have these holidays. Well, you, it's very natural to invite people from your community into your backyard. And this is what we're saying often around here crossing. The best place to lead someone to Christ, the best place to talk about your faith is in your backyard, is in your living room on your front porch. That's the best place to just be a light to somebody, to, to genuinely love them and to speak love to them. You see, the, the way that when you are thinking about being an ambassador, and you think, like, I'm living in this community for a purpose. How am I being an ambassador? How am I being a light to this workplace? How am I being a light to this group of people who sit on this bleachers for, like, 14 weeks out of the year? How do I be a light 
to whatever group you're in, how are you an ambassador to them? And it doesn't have to be, like I said, it doesn't have to be weirdness. Please don't be weird. That's what they think we are anyway. Just be genuine. And when you hear them talking about things, you say, you know what, can I pray for you about that? <laughs> Let me just tell you a great story. Again, my brother, I'm sorry about this. Um, this week, he, was, he went and had this little medical test and all, and the girl uh, poked him for blood, and she blew out his vein. And then she did it again, and she blew it out again. And by this point, she's totally freaked. And so, and everything's said and done, he goes, and the whole thing is done. And, and she walks by and he goes, Kathy, how are you doing? And she goes, I've not done that in 30 years of medical practice. And he goes, I know. Can I just pray for you? So natural. And she walked away from there like going, I met a Christian that wasn't weird today. There's one. <laughs> one time when we were working with young adult Bible study, we, were at, we went to Applebee's every single Wednesday night. And I'll never forget the one time when one of our students, we were about to pray before we ate, and one of our students looked at the waitress and said, can we pray for you about anything? Now, first of all, everyone at the table, I'm like going, and I was really proud of the student. And then the waitress was like going, and she walked away. And then she came back and goes, yes, there is. My husband has congestive heart failure and is dying. About three weeks later, four weeks later, we show up for swim meet practice for Grant. And who is there with a child on Grant's swim team but that waitress? Smallest little things. God takes and he begins to weave them together. So someone else says something to waitress, and we happen to be the benefactors of that little gesture by finding this woman. So block parties, blizzard parties. You know, today, go home and host a blizzard party. It'd be fun. <laughs> we did that at a hurricane party a few years ago. And, and while everyone else didn't have electricity, Newtown Crossing had electricity. So you could come and shower at our house and have some soup and charge your phones. Do a hurricane party. Do a dinner club from your coworkers. And, and try to organize a thing where once a month or once every six weeks, you get together and you go to a different place to eat. Or you go to a different person's house to go to dinner or something like that. You know, look at your neighborhood. And if there are children in your neighborhood, host a backyard club for them. You don't have to do the backyard club yourself, but, you know, if you organize the children, people will come and do the little backyard club for them there. Or if you don't have, like, a backyard club, a backyard to do that, this is what I'm talking about. This is a beautiful thing right here. Let's say that you don't have a backyard, but there's children in your, in your backyard, and you know another believer in your neighborhood, and you go to that believer and say, can we use your backyard to do a VBS in your backyard? Because I don't have one. I'll invite them. You just open your gate, please. That's strategic. That's thinking like an ambassador. That's thinking like out loud. That's looking for opportunities that aren't there. That's making them be there, right? Isn't that exciting? Don't you want to be a part of something exciting? Don't sit in your basement and watch other people do this. Crawl up out of the basement. Go out into the neighborhood. Go back into your workplaces and look for these kind of opportunities. Usually Betty Jo and one other lady or two other ladies in our neighborhood, uh, in our neighborhood, we do block parties. Remember Susie? We used to do block parties in our neighborhood. And, and, um, and, and all it would, we just set up tables and everybody brings their food. And it's not an, I mean, we, no, one, no one stands up and starts preaching. It's just a very simple thing of building relationships. And we always pray beforehand and then we just eat. And then you wait to see what God's going to do. Back in the day when I was working in advertising, 
I had a case of Bibles I gave away through the people that was working there. And one lady said, will you do a Bible study in my home? And I was like, well, yes, no one asked for that. Yes, let's do that. I would study the book of John with you. And so she said, yes. And, and so we would go and we'd study the book of John. And then she would go and break out this bottle of wine and a whole bunch of cheese. And her and all these ladies would sit there. And, and I don't know anything about wine. I just kind of ate the cheese and stuff. Wine gets in my head. I don't like it. And we'd just like, and that's what we'd do. But let me close with this story. Many, many years ago, 1990, matter of fact, Betty Jo had organized the Island and the Sun VBS program here at Crossing. And, uh, and there might have been some of you who even helped with that, were part of that back in the day. And, and Betty, I've, I've ridden on her coattails a lot in my life. And, and Betty says, we should do this in our neighborhood. Some of you have lived in Newtown Crossing. You know that the swimming pool is just a few, one street over from our house. And then, and then there's the manor house, which is the place where you can rent to do things and all. Betty and her minions. It might have been Richard's idea. Might have been Rich, it sounds like Rich Mir's idea, actually. Yeah, it does sound like Rich Mir's idea. And so they set up this registration table outside of the swimming pool. So as children are going in, mommies and daddies are taking children to the swimming pool. They would stand there and register children for this island in the sun thing. And they had about 50 children register. This one particular lady came through, and she registered her two little children. And the kids came to the VBS all week long. And then on the last night, she came for the, you know, the little show thingy and all. This is her words. I met, fr- I met Betty on a Friday afternoon after Island the Sun VBS. And on Saturday... Betty Jo showed up at our house with a basket full of muffins and told us about the service time on Sunday. Now, this family left. I mean, you could look out our back window and kind of look around the corner, and they were right there. So this is pretty easy to do. And so we went, and the sermon spoke to me. And after that, I met with Betty almost daily, and within two weeks, I came to Christ. Now, what I remember about that was that several of our high school students were part of that, as well as, you know, it might have been Rich's idea, Betty Jo's idea. Um, Steve Payne was a part of all that, and I distinctly remember Steve Payne going around and knocking at doors when it was safe to do that in our neighborhood and handing out invitations on those hot summer days. And what I love about this story, so can you show me my first slide, please? What I love about this story is this is that here's some of the children that were there. And you'll recognize the chairs. Those are our really ugly chairs. We only use one twice a year now. And, um, and we brought all the chairs there for it and everything like that. And there's some of our children. And then the next one there. And then this is one of the groups of children there. And they were um, Island of the Sun. And I, don't, I guess that has to do with something with Island in the Sun there, that they're all the little costumes and all like that. And then the next photograph, this is a group of the children that were there. And I was planning this in my sermon today, but last night I was at an open house and this photograph got circulated. And it didn't dawn on me until this morning about 8 o'clock that I wanted this photograph in our service. Because this photograph right here holds inside of it a beautiful, beautiful story. And I don't have my pointer, so I'm just going to point to you up here. If you look, see the little boy in the blue? There's always a little boy in the blue in every group in there, right? But you look across over here, you see the girl in the pink, and then you see the little girl right there? And the little, she has like a blue leaf on her, a little pink thing on her shirt right there? That was Kristen Montanian. <laughs> that was the first time she'd ever attended a VBS. And so 
through the efforts of Betty Jo and Rich and Steve Payne. Jeff Payne was there too. He was a pain. Um, <laughs> Steve Payne. But like, you know what? The beauty of that story is that Mary got saved and Kristen got saved. And now Kristen's raising her babies in this church and they're going to grow up in a house of faith. Because someone said, I'll go and do this in the middle of July in a hot summer day and do all this work to make it happen and just go and hang out with screaming, screaming children, which she was one. <laughs> but you see that like when I was talking to Steve about this the other day, I said, Steve, do you realize that there's three generations of Christians in our church because you went out and knocked on doors? There's like this, to me, it would be like there's a sense of like spiritual urgency about that. Don't you want to sense that same kind of like, wow. Don't you want that in your life? That most of us will never get to ever meet the Christians and and, and the Charlie's of our spiritual heritage. We might never know about that. But we have the the distinct privilege of getting to know about that. With Mary being downstairs now, serving, taking care of babies right now. I'm not getting to hear this, but she's downstairs serving, taking care of babies right now. And her baby sits here now with her babies. And that summer week opened the door to a spiritual legacy and a spiritual heritage that she and Kevin will continue to pass on to their children. Don't you want to be a part of that? Don't you want to be sent like that? Don't you want to have that kind of urgency about where you live and where you work and who you're around? Don't don't waste all those relationships that are in your life. Don't you want that kind of spiritual urgency? That, that feeling like I just found out that my life mattered and it will matter for generations to come in that family. Let's pray. Father, I know that the little story that I, the little story, the story that I highlighted today is one of many in here. I know, Father, how Dennis and Mary Nolinsky got, came to Christ. Uh, Father, I know of the hundreds and hundreds of children that Rich Mears and Carol Mears have hosted in all kinds of ways. Father, I know of just, the room is just full of these stories. I know about the children who went to the Heverly's house for these little VBSs for, for years. I know about all of those stories, and, and the room is full of them. But Father, I, w- I would love for our church to have this kind of ethos about it, that if you come here, you have this sense that it's expected of you to have be urgent about the relationships in our lives. And so create in us that where these are not, where we we don't have a a story or two every year, but we could celebrate stories like this every month as we follow you into these crazy places. Create that in us. Use that in us. And may we experience great things for Christ, and may we experience great things happen for you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.